Hey there everyone and welcome back to the finals countdown series which is brought to you by MedTalks. This episode is part of the respiratory section and in today's talk we're going to be looking at pneumothorax. I'm Sahil and I'm a junior doctor working in the East Midlands. So what is a pneumothorax? Well pneumo means air and thorax basically means chest. So it's an abnormal collection of air somewhere in the chest, specifically in the pleural cavity. In other words, the space between the parietal and the visceral pleura. The visceral pleura lines the lungs and the parietal pleura attaches to the chest wall. This air shouldn't be there and it results in the collapse of the lung with the degree of collapse dependent on the amount of air present. So you can get primary and you can get secondary pneumothoraces. A primary pneumothorax occurs without obvious cause in healthy people. A secondary pneumothorax occurs as a result of a chronic lung condition such as COPD. And other causes are iatrogenic, so intubation, central line insertions, lung biopsies. Traumatic causes such as penetrating chest wall injury or trauma such as a stab wound, gunshot or rib fracture. And then there's catamenial pneumothorax where, which is at the time of menstruation. The most worrying type of pneumothorax is a tension pneumothorax. This is a life-threatening medical emergency where the air within the pleural cavity is causing such a great positive pressure that it shifts the entire mediastinum laterally, which causes cardiopulmonary dysfunction. And it presents with severe signs and symptoms of respiratory distress, so distended neck veins, hemodynamic instability and tracheal deviation and we'll talk about its recognition and its management shortly. So men are more likely to have a pneumothorax under the ages of 20 and around 60 years old. And there is a similar pattern in women, however they don't usually present as early as men. So, what are the risk factors of a pneumothorax? The most important one is smoking. Also, tall, slim men are at higher risk. Marfan syndrome increases the risk, women with endometriosis, and for, for a secondary pneumothorax, COPD, tuberculosis, sarcoidosis, cystic fibrosis, malignancy, and idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Okay, so how does a pneumothorax present? Well, it's variable depending on the size. Some may be asymptomatic or have minimal symptoms. But typically, there is sudden onset chest pain which is non-radiating and shortness of breath which is more likely if it's a severe pneumothorax because there is less reserve. The signs may be diaphoresis or excessive sweating, respiratory distress, cyanosis if it's severe, tachycardic and if the patient has a heart rate of more than 135 beats per minute then you need to think of a tension pneumothorax. Pulsus paradoxus suggests a severe pneumothorax, this occurs where the pulse slows on inspiration. Normally, the pulse increases on inspiration. And in a tension pneumothorax, there is hemodynamic instability, so significant tachycardia, hypotension, and elevated JVP. The examination findings are important for you to think about, especially for your OSCEs during medical school. So, there will be asymmetrical chest expansion with the affected side rising less than normal. Tracheal deviation may occur, especially in tension pneumothorax. Hyper resonance to percussion over the, over the area. 
and reduced breath sounds in the area. How do we diagnose it? Well, the main way is via a chest x-ray. This is the standard way of di diagnosing it. So what will you see on the chest x-ray? Well, you'll see the visceral pleural edge as a thin, sharp, white line. And you'll not see any lung markings lateral to this line. And the space next to this white line is more radiolucent than normal lung tissue. So it looks darker. Depending on the severity, the lung may completely collapse. And there may be a mediastinal shift if it is a tension pneumothorax. An ultrasound scan can also be done in a supine trauma patient. If it's a complex, complex case or a chest x-ray hasn't been conclusive, then a CT scan can be done. And an arterial blood gas will show hypoxia with the degree depending on the severity. So, how do we manage a pneumothorax? Well, the British Thoracic Society have published some great guidelines on the management, so do enjoy learning these. But I'll try and break it down now. The first thing is to rule out a tension pneumothorax, and based on what we've just spoken about, you should be able to do this. So a tension pneumothorax is a life-threatening event, and typically it's caused by some kind of trauma, so for example a stab wound or after a road traffic accident, but it can also be caused as a result of mechanical ventilation. It develops when a lung or chest wall injury is such that it allows air into the pleural space, but not out of it, and it's because of a one-way valve which is created. And as a result, air accumulates and compresses the lung, and this eventually shifts the mediastinum, it compresses the contralateral lung, and this leads to an increase in intrathoracic pressure, enough to decrease venous return to the heart, which leads to shock. And these effects can develop rapidly, particularly in patients who are undergoing positive pressure ventilation. So, just to recap, you get progressive accumulation of intrapleural gas in the thoracic cavity caused by this valve effect where air can come in but air is not allowed to escape. So the ipsilateral lung will collapse completely and it causes this positive mass effect on the mediastinum which leads to compression of the vessels and the heart and compression of the opposite lung. So back to the management of pneumothorax. Ensure that the patient is hemodynamically stable. There's three main options to the management. One, simple observation. Two, aspiration. And three, chest drain. The more symptomatic a patient is, the more urge there is to actively intervene. And we'll go through when to do what now. So, the management of a spontaneous pneumothorax as per the British Thoracic Society guidelines. If a patient is bilateral, if a patient has bilateral pneumothoraces or they are hemodynamically unstable then they will require a chest drain. If neither of these apply then you need to think about whether it's a primary or a secondary because this will determine the management. So if a patient is over 50 years old and they have a significant smoking history or there is evidence of underlying lung disease on examination or chest x-ray then this indicates a secondary pneumothorax. If none of these apply, then this is a primary pneumothorax. So, primary pneumothorax, we'll start with this. If the size of the pneumothorax is more than 2 cm and or the patient is breathless, then this needs to be aspirated with a 16 to 18 gauge cannula and less than 2.5 litres should be aspirated. 
If this has been successful, so the size of the pneumothorax is less than two centimeters and the breathing has improved, then the patient can be discharged and will need an outpatient follow-up in two to four weeks. If the size of the pneumothorax is, was originally less than two centimeters and the patient is not showing any symptoms, then they can be discharged and reviewed in outpatient in two to four weeks. But also note that in some patients with a large pneumothorax but they have minimal symptoms, then conservative management may be appropriate. Okay, so if we've if we if we've needed to aspirate and it's not not been successful, then a patient will require a chest drain and admission. So that's the management for a primary pneumothorax. If a patient is above fifty and has a significant smoking history or there is evidence of underlying lung disease on examination or chest x-ray, this indicates a secondary pneumothorax. If they are the pneumothorax is more than two centimeters or they are breathless, then they need a chest drain and they need to be admitted. If the pneumothorax is less than two centimeters and they are not breathless, and if it's between one to two centimeters, then it should be aspirated with a 16 to 18 gauge cannula and less than 2.5 liters should be aspirated. And if that's been successful and the size is now less than one centimeter, then they still need to be admitted. They need high flow oxygen if they're hypoxic and observations for 24 hours. If there's no success with the aspiration, they need to have a chest drain and admitted. If if it's a secondary pneumothorax but the size of the pneumothorax is less than one centimeter then they be, need to be admitted with oxygen and observed for 24 hours. So when we say one or two centimeters what we mean and this is as per the BTS guideline is two centimeters from the chest wall to the lung edge at the level of the hilum. So the management methods that we've discussed so far have been either needle aspiration or insertion of a chest drain. So needle aspiration involves the aspiration of air from the chest wall without the insertion of a chest drain, or, a, or also, also known as a thoracostomy tube. And a successful aspiration will lead to quicker discharge than the insertion of a chest drain. And the needle used is a cannula, no greater than 16 gauge, and it's inserted into the second intercostal space midclavicular line. And the cannula is attached to a 10 mil syringe with normal sterile saline inside. An aspiration of air confirms correct placement of the needle. And then a 50 mil syringe replaces the 10 mil one, and up to 2.5 liters can be aspirated. And a chest drain should be repeated after this to ensure successful management. If it's unsuccessful, then a chest drain and a chest x-ray should be repeated after this to ensure successful management. If it's unsuccessful, then a chest drain will be required. And for a chest drain, this is inserted into the safe triangle of the chest, which is formed by the anterior border of the latissimus dorsi muscle, the lateral aspect of the pectoralis major muscle, and the sixth rib inferiorly. It doesn't come without risks, and these include creation of a false passage, intraperitoneal insertion, which can lead to splenic or liver injury, surgical emphysema, empyema, hemothorax, nerve damage, and possibly some myocardial in injury. The chest drain should be connected to a water seal device, and this should be placed below the level of the patient, patient 
and we should always check that the water is swinging so it rises and falls with each breath and this confirms correct placement of the tube within the pleural space. And a repeat chest x-ray should is required to radiologically confirm correct placement of the drain. And finally, for a tension pneumothorax, this can present with hemodynamic instability and mediastinal shift, and it requires immediate intervention. And this is with immediate needle decompression by inserting a large bore, so a 14 or a 16 gauge needle, into the second intercostal space in the midclavicular line, and air will usually gush out. This should be followed immediately by an intercostal chest drain in the fifth intercostal space in the mid-axillary line. So that brings us to the end of today's respiratory talk on pneumothorax. I hope you've learned a lot and I hope you found it useful. Please remember to share these episodes with your friends and your peers who may also find them useful. Please also remember to leave some feedback on the podcast channels or alternatively by messaging us on Instagram, Facebook, or you can email us, which and our email address is hellomedtalks at gmail.com for feedback or if you want to ask us any questions or give us any topic suggestions. You can check out all of our other episodes on all of the podcast platforms and also on our website, which is www.medtalks.health. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you in the next episode where we'll be talking about pleural effusions. So stay tuned for that one. Bye bye.